Hey there, everybody. This is Scott Grimes. This is Mark Jackson. This is Patrick Cox. You know, Justin the Ogre. Hi, this is Jessica Zor. This is BJ Tanner. You are tuned into the Planetary Union Network with your host, Lieutenant Commander Portis. This is Joe Quickle. And I am Michael May. This is Planetary Union Network, the official Orville podcast. So, it's been a minute. <laughs> it has been, yeah. It's the end <laughs> of last season, and uh, we don't have a new season yet, but we have some stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, a lot of things happened uh, since, I guess, April was the last time we recorded for the season finale. Mm-hmm. Um, things uh, we, we had meant to... Um, to do these comic recordings every month, but uh, life kind of got in the way. So we're going to do all of them at one time. Um, So yeah, since we, uh, since we were last here, uh, the show we learned is moving to Hulu for uh, starting with season three. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really only matters to those of us here in the States. Uh, The international fans still get to watch on their, their current networks. That's good. I know a lot of people were getting concerned about that. Yeah, there, there was some concern for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. You know, we're doing news to begin with instead of news at the end. But um, just kind of wanted to uh, you know, celebrate that uh, the first day of shooting season three actually started today. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Orville Twitter was a buzz. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, our buddy Tom, uh, you know, was tweeting out a bunch of pictures and stuff from, you know, just what he could share of it. And uh, it was very exciting. Yeah, totally exciting. Um, I really, <laughs> I also just really can't wait to see what we, uh, what we end up using as our salutation um, after episode one. Cause you know, like uh, season one, we did the donkey huggers or donkey hugging arborists. <laughs> and then, then we got Jalogia in season two. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> Who knows? You're going to have to pull Jaloja out of my cold, dead hands, probably. <laughs> but if something else comes up just as good, then, I'm, you know, <laughs> I could be flexible. Yeah, donkey, donkey hugging Jaloja enthusiasts and then whatever <laughs> we put with season three. I don't know. Sure. sure. So uh, what we're here for tonight is to discuss the comic series. Yeah. Uh, four issue. um I guess mini series and uh and it was kind of interesting how they structured it because it was really really more like two two issue series right um like each each uh yeah there was like one story took two issues and then they, they just kind of did a break and then the next story took another two issues but it was all it was kind of marketed and solicited as a four issue mini series but uh Man, um, you know, written by David A. Goodman, who we've had on the show and is one of the producers on Orville and uh, one of the writers of the show, one of the showrunners, really. And uh, art by David Cabeza. Um, and uh, he's from Spain? Yeah, right? yeah, he's from Spain. Super cool, nice guy. Um, we, we chat on Twitter uh, every so often. And just right off the bat, like, 
the thing looks great. I mean, he nails the likenesses, but he also is able to like convey expressions really well. And he has to like create a bunch of new aliens and it's just, it's amazing what he's able to do. Yep. And uh, David also did our, um, our new social media cover photo. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's not really new by now, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Our newest. (laughs) Yep. So super talented guy and a friend of the show. And, um, yeah, I just I was really really thrilled with how it looked. Um, and then uh, some of the other people on the creative team, uh, Michael, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Is it Atiye? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Yeah, if you're listening, correct us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, lettering by uh, Richard Starkings, um, who uh, I know from my time in the comic book industry, and great great dude. And uh, Jimmy Betancourt, who I don't know, but uh, but they did a great job as well. So as um, Michael was saying, it's uh, it was the two 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 part series. So uh, we'll just get in with the uh, the first one, which would be New Beginnings Part One. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, opens in a kind of interesting way because it's a dream sequence. You find out, like I think, probably on the same page that uh, that it is a dream sequence. Um, but, uh, Ed is dreaming about Kelly <laughs> and, uh, and like, I think she's, uh, uh, he's like wanting to get back to her back together. Like I remember from the end of season one, um, that was kind of the thing was that Ed was kind of wanting to get back together with Kelly and Kelly was not having it. And, uh, so this, as you find out, uh, partway through this issue, this just kind of takes place a few weeks after the, uh, the season finale of season one. Right. But, uh, um, yeah. So like, she just, uh, in his dream, he's, uh, they're kind of in the mess hall and, and she comes up to him and plants a big smooch on his face. And that's when the alarm clock wakes him up. Yeah. I think that, uh, I, I think we find he was dreaming and paid on page two, like that might be the first panel of page two. Yeah, yeah, like, like the fit, the end of page one is like she's smooching him, and right. you hear this beep, 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 and <laughs> so I think I was kind of clued in, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely confirmed on uh, on the second page, um, and uh, yeah, and so we find out the the in, the miss the mission that they're on, they're investigating something called a magnetar, which I had this is the first time I ever heard of a magnetar, but it's kind of magnetic. Uh, phenomenon in space involving a star um and i am kind of on gordon's team where he goes you know how boring this magnetar is (laughs) they didn't even name it (laughs) uh so yeah and and there's like a like it's gonna take 48 hours for isaac to kind of run his tests and and do a study on it so it's kind of a, a dull mission and uh in the meantime ed and gordon are headed to a tactical conference um, on some place called Outpost 23, they're basically going to be debriefing the Union about their experience on the Krill ship from uh, uh, the episode six um, uh, in the first season, the, the Krill episode. And uh, while they're on the way, um, they, they kind of start talking about Ed and Kelly's relationship. And that's still very much uh, on Ed's mind. And he's he's insisting that he's over it. And, uh, um, and this is where we find out I think just in a little caption box that uh, explains the story takes place a few weeks after uh, the Matadology episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Then what happens? Uh, a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try not to talk the whole episode. No, no, you're good. Uh, all right. So uh, they, they run across an old communications buoy from the BCV Burton, which is yeah. a, uh, I think a battleship class vessel would be yeah. what that would be. Uh, it's over 100 years old, and they lost the ship in the war to the Zell. Yeah, which is they describe as a caterpillar-like species, and um, Cabeza draws a, a, a panel of them, and they look really cool, kind of like giant evil caterpillars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I don't, were you thinking LeVar Burton is where that uh, name came from? Or maybe I, I don't know. I I didn't have anybody really in mind, but I like the I like your thought there. Yeah, I just I remember on Next Generation they would often name uh, these ships after you know somebody like uh, you know someone who was like part of the show or like influential to the show, and um, so that was that was my first guess, but who knows? And so they've got the uh, they've a, the um, the buoy is sending a distress call, and uh, according to the regulations, they have to investigate them regardless of how old they are. And yeah. uh, so they they head on their way to investigate. Yeah, I kind of relieved too. Like neither one of them actually seemed that excited about this conference that they're going to. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're back on the ship uh, where mm-hmm. Kelly is confiding in Doctor Finn about Ed's problems or about Ed problems, not Ed's problems. But. <laughs> yeah, uh, they are kind of more Ed's problems, oh but he's God. making them Kelly's problems in the process. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so Kelly is she's uh, she makes a comment like she hopes that Ed starts to date before she does. Uh, she mentions that it's kind of no fun working on the Orville under the current conditions, which uh, kind of leads to a fun comment from Doctor Finn. He goes, uh, "I'm sorry. At what point were you under the impression this is supposed to be a fun job?" <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a paraphrase. Yeah, but... This is not ran by Carnival Cruise Lines. <laughs> right. Right. That's not in the uh, that's not in the book, everybody. No, this is all. <laughs> um, so uh, we we learned about um, uh, more about the Mocklin development that everybody was a little uh, confused and speculating about. They're pretty uh, pretty much lined out what happens. Yeah, because in season one, like Topa is a baby, and then in season two, Topa is like a you know a young child. And uh, so, yeah, so while Kelly and Dr. Finn are having this conversation, Bordas comes in and uh, he's upset because there's a new teacher. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the teacher does not want to enroll Topa in the class because Topa doesn't meet the age requirement for the class. So um, Bordas wants Dr. Finn to examine Topa and recommend that he's ready for school uh, because, you know, he's eight months old, but... Uh, um, he, he, you know, he appears to be, you know, like, I don't know what, six, seven. I don't know how old. Yeah. The, I think he's uh, seven. Actor plays it, it, it seems to be that they're, uh, possibly, um, aging at least in adolescence, uh, at a, almost a 10 times rate, at least in the first, mm-hmm. maybe the first year is that fast. So yeah. who knows what Topa is going to look like in season three. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. And they, they do a little scientific explanation. Borda says something about evolution favoring infants who matured quickly. And so that's uh, just kind of how Maklas develop. And uh, so Kelly volunteers to go talk to this new teacher because they do. They, they examine Topa. They, they go, OK, yeah, Topa is probably, you know, uh, of a comparable age to when somebody would be starting school. So Kelly's going to go uh, uh, see if she can get the 
Topa in class. And uh, in the meantime, um, Ed and Gordon are uh, come across a debris field that was from that that war. And uh, then they're hit by something and crash land onto the surface. Yeah, some kind of beam, some kind of particle weapon or some kind. And and uh, and I like there's a little fancy piloting by Gordon. I always enjoy it when he's able to kind of show off. And he uh, talks about skimming off the top of a plateau that slows them down enough so they don't uh, they don't completely crack up. Best pilot in the fleet. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, they figure out that the, the the source of the beam that hit them, they, they figure out, they see where that is, and uh, um, they uh, they decide they need to disable it because they assume that the Orville's going to come and rescue them, and, and they don't want the, the beam shooting the Orville out of the sky. Yeah, that wouldn't be great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly we know that doesn't that didn't happen because we did get season two. But, um, <laughs> right, right. But how yeah. did it not happen? <laughs> <laughs> and uh so um so the bump 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 moment from earlier it uh, the teacher is cassius or cassius or yeah. however you pronounce that i still haven't figured that one out yeah you're with ed yeah <laughs> he pronounces it cassius yeah. or ed pronounces it cassius but uh cassius pronounces it cassius and uh so yeah so that's a fun conversation kelly goes to talk to him about getting topa in the class and they have a big argument and uh, he threatens to uh, to call the uh, the board of education, <laughs> and Kelly's like, "Ooh, yeah, scary!" Yeah. Oh, <laughs> not the board of education. <laughs> so they, yeah, they kind of have a big argument, and they don't get any resolution right away. At least not in that scene. That um, Ed and Gordon run across a camp of uh, some penguin-looking uh, characters that are called Chogs. Yeah. Uh, the guy, the kind of the leader of them is uh, a guy named Foz. Yeah. And, uh, I like these little guys like, uh, immediately they're, they're cute and uh, they do look like penguins. I, I, they're very bird-like. Um, I hadn't really put penguins with it, but you're absolutely right. Well, that I, I the, the penguin thing, um, they, uh, other than they do kind of have a general passing look for, look at penguins, um, it kind of goes a little further into that end of part two, I think. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. But, uh, yeah, so Isaac is getting closer to finishing his study of the Magnetar. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we have uh, Kelly hanging out in the in the mess hall again, and Cassius comes up and apologizes to her. And uh, um, kind of trying to get things off on the right foot. He, well, he apologizes to her, saying, you're right. I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, Topa set it on a class he says he's doing fine we're it's gonna, it's gonna be good and uh like <laughs> um I, th- I was getting a little ahead of myself but uh um because i yeah i was th- i was like remembering a conversation that actually happens later but kelly um suggests that i think alara is around at the time and and, and kelly and alara are like hey you know he's kind of cute and he's nice and kelly actually suggests that alara asks cassius out yeah um, which makes some sense considering that somebody had earlier conversations in season one about Alara's uh, dating problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense that Ke- uh, Kelly's kind of on the lookout for somebody that Alara might be able to date. And, uh, but Alara thinks that Cassius actually might be more of Kelly's type. Yeah. Cause in this, you know, we're, we're still in that time where um, we're in the, uh, the Ed and Kelly, Sam and Diane. Um, right. <clears throat> kind of perspective where we don't know whether or not they're going to be getting back together, what's going on. 
which is kind of cool. Like I, I, I like this about this, um, uh, this comic book series taking these four issues taking place in between seasons one and seasons two and kind of uh, showing us some things that we, we know from season two happened before that show started with that season started um, also kind of tying in and, and wrapping up some, uh, some things that happened in season one. And so it's, it's a really nice bridge uh, between those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back on the planet, um, Thaz uh, talks about a calamity um, that uh, befell like um, Ed and, and Gord. They're still kind of trying to figure out like what's going on here. What is this this big beam that shot us out of the sky? And uh, um, then uh, it's like it's, a dinner bell. Yeah, the dinner bell kind of rings. Yeah. And uh, right. Malloy. And this is what I would say. It actually is. It's in this issue, the end of this issue. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that it's like our own March of the Penguins? Yeah, because they they follow them um, to this 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 thing. It was they find the the old particle beam cannon and, and it's uh, part of the Burton, which is crashed, and so it's got the giant gun on top of it. And uh, that's kind of where this issue cuts off to uh, to continue into the next issue. Yeah, and so just. Uh, um, kind of a, kind of some highlights here. Uh, whenever you were reading, it, it felt like reading an episode and watching an episode. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just the, uh, the cadence, the, what the characters would say. I, I guess that's what's great about having David A. Goodman write it. Right. That, right. <laughs> being one of the writers on the show, it's, it's consistent. Yeah. The tone is, it's, it's kind of a nice mix between like this serious sci-fi plot but uh also um you know the the jokes and the camaraderie and just the the you know the kind of the lightheartedness of the relationships um and uh and then when you have cabeza doing the the art and and all these characters you know look right um and the scene settings look right uh it just um it's just it, yeah it is it's it's like we got another couple episodes. Yeah. And, and continuing in with it, um, just like the episodes, we've got B plots and it's not just one, one main story in the, in the, I want to call it an episode in the issue. Right. There are, there, there are several subplots going on at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So new beginnings part two. Yeah. Um, so Thaz, uh, um, wants them to, to follow through the food place. And, uh, <laughs> Gordon has a fun comment about, they've turned this whole ship into a glorified drive through <laughs> And, uh, but they, um, they find out that, uh, like, there's very limited options as to what the, uh, the food replicators on this thing could actually make. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, kind so, of a, almost a mud sort of thing. Right, right. Yeah, because Gordon, like, he wants a Whopper. I forget exactly what he uh, what he wants to order, but it, something like a Big Mac or something. And, uh, um, yeah, so anyway, he wants to kind of explore a little bit and try to figure out what's going on here. And uh, But uh, Foz says, you know, that you can't really do that. You can't, uh, you can't just go off and explore. Yeah, that uh, doesn't have any real reason for it. Like, he doesn't, it seems like a lot of their history has been lost. Right. Apparently. Yeah, lost lost to time. Even though it was only 
uh, basically a hundred years, but they just knows that, uh, that those areas are forbidden and always have been as far right. as, uh, right. Thaws is concerned. Yeah. Um, so then back, uh, back on the ship, we, uh, we see more of Cassius and Kelly's, uh, kind of relationship starting to bloom. And, and this is the thing I was remembering from before where Kelly basically, like, I think she's on, uh, she's on the mess hall and he comes and talks to her and she tries to shut it all down right away. She, she runs through the whole, uh, their whole relationship in this kind of glorious two panel <laughs> speech that tries to put their relationship in a coffin before he even has a chance to sit down and, um, I just love the way he handles it. He he goes, well, our relationship's already a huge disaster. I, I might as well sit here with you and watch the star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just, he's not having it. Like he's, he's just, he's very chill about it, uh, but he's not going to let her kind of sabotage it before he's even had a chance to say hello. And then back on the planet, Ed and Gordon are sneaking around to investigate. Yep. Uh, it looks like they are, they're in uh, the engineering department of the burden. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, their, the reactor on the burden looks different, obviously, than the one in the Orville. Plus, it's been a hundred years between the time. So, but, uh, they've kind of do some research on it and find that the reactor is only appears to be powering the food system and that cannon. Right. Right. And that the cannon is set to auto fire, uh, basically to protect the surface from falling debris. And, uh, so it really wasn't the chogs that shot them down. Yeah. Um, and then back on the uh, uh, <laughs> back on the Oroville, uh, Isaac finishes the study of the Magnetar, and it's it's kind of fun the way they the the comic sets this up because Ed and Gord are talking about like should we shut down this cannon now? And uh, um, Ed doesn't want to do it, and he says something like Isaac isn't due to finish his Magnetar study for a few more hours. And then you turn the page, and Isaac's telling Kelly, Commander, I finished the study <laughs> of the Magnetar, and she goes, Oh, a few hours early, so. um and uh we get a little comment from bordas about uh, kelly's asking how uh school's going and bordas says that clyden isn't satisfied with school because there isn't any combat training yeah it's a complete (laughs) clyden remark yeah right yeah he's he's still the worst (laughs) (laughs) love you chad yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hate your character. I love you. <laughs> We're supposed to. That's the, exactly the way it's supposed to be. Right, right. Um, but uh, there's a great Bordas slide here because Kelly says, well, I guess you could have to get him a tutor. And Bordas is like, that is our intention. <laughs> uh, Outpost 23 um, sent a message. It was once they got done with the, got outside of the Magnetar range. I guess everything was kind of scrambled. Mm-hmm. and uh, they couldn't get um, any messages basically in or out. So there was one queued up from Outpost 23 that Ed and Gordon never arrived. Right. And so the, uh, so the Orville goes, uh, goes on a, on a searching mission. Yeah. And meanwhile, Ed and Gordon are kind of continuing their uh, exploration of the Burton. They get to the bridge and Ed finds a message uh, from an ensign. Uh, who was the the relief navigator, and he kind of tells the story of what happened, that all the uh, senior officers were killed, which left this incident in command, and there was a leak in the reactor that poisoned the biosphere of the planet. Um, and so most of the life died, all the plant life died, and the Chogs, the penguin aliens, came to help them. Uh, so the remaining crew of the Burton fixed the reactor, hooked it up to the food synthesizer and the cannon to protect the Chogs, and... Uh, now the ensign is worried that 
or I'm sorry, with uh, Ed is worried that uh, when the Orville shows up and the cannon fires, that the Orville's going to fire back and you know pretty much destroy this thing that's protecting the uh, the Chogs. Yeah, and um, they basically came to the realization that that Ensign um, did all he could to save what life was there. Right, right. Um, which we'll find out kind of at the end of the issue that that's that's a real inspiration, inspirational moment for for Ed. Just uh, the the heroism of this guy and his his compassion for these uh, these aliens. Uh, but the aliens, meanwhile, are, are kind of ticked off. Thaws <laughs> discovers them, and uh, um, that uh, he he realizes they've gone to uh, you know to go exploring. He has them seized, and uh, they start throwing rocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Holy moly, man! It's like chill. Like I understand you're upset, <laughs> but you're just going straight to stoning. <laughs> And uh, in the meantime, the Orville runs across the communications buoy while yeah. Ed tries to reason with Thaws about why they were in the food place. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, Ed's like trying to explain everything and talk about how like the ship is actually, you know, creating a problem and, and he's not using the word ship. He's talking about the food place and, and like how you're, you're basically your most holy place is trying to kill you. And, <laughs> and Gordon is just like, <laughs> So I'm not with that. Yeah, guy. I don't know this guy. <laughs> Barely know him. <laughs> yeah, I can just tell Ed's like dig, digging the hole deeper. Um, but they find out that uh, there is this one elder still alive from the time when the Burton crashed. And so Ed wants to, he talks Thaws into taking them to see this elder to kind of help corroborate the story. So the Orville shows up at the debris field. Uh, it's hard to scan, so they're not able to really find um, Ed, any sign of Ed or Gordon. And uh, there is an ion trail that suggests they may have landed on the planet. And so Kelly orders Alara to scan the surface. Yeah. Uh, and then back on the planet, uh, the elder is still alive. His name is Rop or Rope. Rop is how I'm going to say. Yeah. He's a, 107 years old. Yeah. And uh, so he tells the story. Hey, he remembers us, Ensign Hodges. Um, and he talks about, um, you know, kind of lets all the other uh, aliens know, um, you know, that, that uh, Ed is right about how he's interpreted this. And then as they're talking, the cannon fires on the Orville and uh, Kelly orders the, uh, the Orville to target the, the Burton. Um, and uh, just in a very, is very, very tense for a minute there, but Ed manages to break in and, and, uh, kind of a split second before the Orville returns fire and tells him not to. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, uh, cause Bordas is like, you, there's like a panel, like he's reaching his finger to hit the button and Kelly's like, stop. And he goes, I did not fire. And he's holding his finger up to show that he did not push the button. <laughs> Bordas continues to be my favorite character, <laughs> even in comic book form. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That we're, I, 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 I would have Peter make it on anytime he wants to be on here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even care. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, so the, uh, the, the Ulysses arrives to uh, relieve the Orville and start to try to repair the planet. And, um, and uh, Ed and Kelly 
kind of, kind of, the issue wraps up with them talking about this instant Hodges from the Burton and Ed talks about Hodges selflessness and how it made it Ed realize that he's kind of been a jerk to Kelly about wanting to get back together. And so he apologizes and, and uh, Kelly says, thanks, which I took to mean like she was really bothered um, mm-hmm. and that she's appreciative that he's apologizing. And, um, and then it, it, the, as she closes with Ed says, ask if anything happened while he was away. And uh, Kelly says, nothing that can't wait referring to this she's Curry cash has started really started dating yet but right. the interest is very much there yeah and this kind of feels like this is the um almost the green light from ed to mm, like mm-hmm. yeah go you know go ahead of course we realize later that he's still a little annoyed in season oh, yeah. two about about all that he's but, not gonna get over it right away <laughs> so that concludes new beginnings yeah and then we're to uh the next storyline is called the world of avis and that obviously is about the krill (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh so we're we're opening up in this one with uh in 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 this in the environmental simulator where lamar Mm. and malloy are uh are are basically on the um I guess the Muslim side of the Crusades. Yeah, and Lamar wa- yeah. Lamar wants to. I guess Lamar is actually playing the part of Saladin and wants to be called Saladin. <laughs> yeah, and then it's it's interesting. Like, part of me was like, why is why why would anybody even have a, a program about the Crusades <laughs> in, the, in the simulator? Uh, but it completely you know fits the theme of you know kind of the krill and and the religious war and all that kind of stuff and, and they have a little conversation about you know how it's kind of crazy what people used to fight over and um there's a pretty great line about all right you guys let's kill all those other guys who believe in exactly the same god that we do but differently and that really annoys us <laughs> and so they discover a uh, a small union transport ship that's on a direct course for krill territory they don't answer uh, the hail, so Ed has them pulled in using a tractor beam, and they continue to not respond or cut off their engines. And then, yeah, and so yeah, the engines start to overheat, and uh, Lamar kind of figures out how to hack into their system to shut down their engines. And Gordon's uh, got a great line: yeah. <laughs> "Yeah, this ship is full of assholes." <laughs> yeah, and Bordis, of course. <laughs> There's another great line. He goes, "I concur with Lieutenant Malloy." <laughs> we, well, we find out they're uh, they're xenoanthropologists. Um, yeah. When the uh, the security contingent led by Alara meets up with the transport after it's been pulled into the shuttle bay, um, right. the uh, the lead guy is apparently named Darden, mm-hmm. and uh, he makes some apologies that he's neglected the regular maintenance on his ship. And, uh, yeah. so I, uh, I, I noted that, that Darden looks like he, he's being played by Stellan Skarsgård. Totally. totally. Yeah. I, I, that cannot be a coincidence. Cause I absolutely thought that too. Yeah. It's just like, that's uh, really close. And a couple of the, um, a couple of the panels of the, uh, of one of the other guys looked like it was Patton Oswalt. Mm, interesting. I didn't pick up that one, but it helps that. You know, Stellan Skarsgård kind of has this uh, this knack for playing kind of scientists of questionable sanity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, of course, you know, the Marvel movies. But uh, I just 
recently rewatched uh, Deep Blue Sea and forgot that he did play basically the same character in that as mm. well. Um, so yeah, so Darden explains that you know there are these uh, these academics, these scientists uh, who were heading to uh, study the primitive culture on a place called Mizar Two, and uh, Ed and Kelly aren't quite buying it. Like they check in and they verify, like yes, these people are actual xenoanthropologists, and that is where they're headed. But there's still like something's not quite right with this, and um, and uh, I forget if it's here or later, but Lamar. So one of the people on the ship is uh, um, an engineer who went to the academy with Lamar, and he goes, "She's too good to let the uh, their ship, you know, completely disrepair like that." Yeah. So um, there's just a lot of unanswered questions. So Ed and Kelly decide they're going to kind of keep an eye on. This and person. these issues. By the way, were some of my favorite because they because of the writing for Dan and Yafit. <laughs> yes, they really shine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just it, it's another one of those things. It's just reading it exactly how it's delivered in the show. Right, right, yeah. So like this this um, person Celeste, I think that's mm-hmm. her name. Uh, she's this the person that Lamar knows. And uh, Dan and Yafet immediately kind of develop crushes on her, and uh, uh, and Dan's <laughs> like his introduction to her is, uh, "I'm Dan, and we want to help you." I'm Dan, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and she's kind of you know catching up with Lamar. It's like you know, hey, how you doing? And and where have you been? And what have you been up to? And the whole time, Dan and Yafet are just like kidding on her. <laughs> and uh eventually i think yafit is the one who says man we're not getting anywhere yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh we're, we we kind of cut to not kind of we do we cut to the, the mess hall and uh yeah, malloy yeah. Uh, eating some sushi um yeah. and uh the uh their new guests on board are really interested to hear about malloy's time aboard the krill vessel yeah this is another great exchange because I say we're really intent on meeting you. And he goes, hey, I don't know who told you I called you assholes, but they're liars. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it turns out they are the scientists who were assigned to study that the text of the Ankana, the Krill Bible, that uh, Ed and Gordon were kind of able to record in the Krill episode from season one. So um, just following up on that that episode. Um, and then, as we'll see, it, it gets even deeper into it than that. But um Malloy goes back to the bridge. He says, they're not, they're not assholes. They're <laughs> nut jobs. <laughs> and uh, they, they kind of wonder, like Ed's still very suspicious. He wonders if they're, if they're Krill spies. Dr. Finn speculates that the Krill could have had some kind of tech that would allow them to disguise themselves as humans, which kind of foreshadows, uh, you know, what happens in uh, season two with Talia. Yeah, this is, you know, this, this whole, uh, this this series here turns into just a, an an additional segment to that whole story arc. Yeah, yeah, it really is a, a bridge episode between that Krill episode and uh, and the Talia episode in season yeah. two. Then, uh, so Lamar offers to take Celeste out for a drink. Uh, she asks for a rain check because she's headed to a meeting with uh, with Doctor Darden. Um, the uh, the the facial expressions in the panel uh lamar a little bit confused by it yeah but uh we find that alara has been keeping an eye on on her and everyone else and mm-hmm. uh then 
they uh, they catch them conducting a cruel religious ceremony. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, kind of in the the shuttle bay, like uh, Lamar and Alana are kind of up in the what they call it, the control booth, whatever. Yeah, that kind of looks down into it, and they, uh, they see them yeah, conducting this uh, this this religious ceremony and uh, so they go back to uh, um, uh, to report to uh, to Ed and the rest of the team and and uh, so you know it looks like they're they're um, under you know possibly undercover krill if not converts yeah I think that uh, or at least my my thoughts during that during that moment were um, just because I was colored by season two uh, thinking that mm-hmm. they were undercover krill uh, but if if they weren't, they were they were some kind of converse to their religion. Then yeah. Malloy asked if they brought their own severed head. <laughs> right. Uh, so they could they uh, the Orville crew confronts them, and uh, Darden explains that they are not spies. He's a, that they are worshiping Avis. And uh, when uh, they got the scans of the Ancana, they studied it and decided to follow the teachings and. Um, because the scans were not complete, they, they had Talia in custody. And so they went and talked to her and she filled in some of the gaps for them. And, um, and there's this really interesting conversation about um, respecting beliefs at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and I like this a lot because this, again, the comic is really following the tone of the show and there's like some kind of heavy issues in this story. Cause Ed claims to respect all beliefs um, but when the scientists kind of confront him with some hypocrisy around that, he admits that they might be right. Um, which, you know, is a big difference between like the Orville and, and early next generation. Like one of the things that bugs me about the first couple of seasons of next generation is they were extremely sanctimonious about the, the advancements of humanity and how humanity, you know, conquered all of its problems. And they would just love to tell you if you were an alien, <laughs> about how far they had come and, and how <laughs> humanity was pretty much perfect at this point. Whereas the Orville, you know, it's, it's these characters are so human and so normal. Um, and the society has, has advanced, but the Orville seems to understand that it's a, this is a complicated issue. There's some nuance around it. And I like that Ed is humble enough to kind of see his own prejudices right. about it. Um, and I also like the dilemma of whether or not to let the scientists continue their course. Like that's their whole thing is that we want to go to Krill space. We want to be with our people because that's kind of how they think of the Krill now. And the Orville crew is like, uh, they're going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> You're not actually Krill, right? You know that? And, uh, and, and so they have to try to figure out the Orville crew does like, do we let them continue this course? Even if it means that they're going to be destroyed. Um, and you know, this is this is kind of up there with some of my favorite moral questions that the show raises. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and then the, the issue closes with uh, someone, uh, someone amongst the scientists downloaded a program into the Orville's engineering system that has been slightly adjusting their course. And so um, they uh, there was a point earlier where someone noticed some feedback, but they were kind of in the middle of something and and. Lamar said, "Just ignore that because we got to focus on what we're." Focusing yeah, I think on. it was Dan uh, that that had, uh, had seen. He actually noticed the feedback. feedback. He's like, "Is it was?" I think the yeah. the um, the line was, uh, "Oh, is that that feedback you told me to ignore?" <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so they they kind of suddenly realize that they're deep into Krill territory. And that's where that issue closes. We find out there are 30 light years inside Krill territory. Yeah. Um, and so they, uh, they so yeah, this is the beginning of the next episode. That's what they find out. And they decide to use uh, Isaac's cloaking technology to make the Orville appear as if it were a Krill battleship. So that's referring back to uh, season one, episode two. Uh, with the Calavan Zoo, where uh, the Orville was able to uh, use this cloaking technology to rescue Ed and Kelly from that. Mm-hmm. So Ed has all has the uh, has their guests all placed under arrest. Um, he said uh, for sabotage, hijacking, and whatever else I can think of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then Darden says that we're just trying to get home, which is an interesting way of expressing it um because again this is not their home uh but it's where they feel connected to um and uh this is another great conversation that that lamar and celeste have here because celeste lamar's trying to understand and he feels like he can connect with celeste or he is connected with celeste and so she can kind of give him a straight answer and she says i don't want to be around people who don't believe and lamar says well if you really believe that what other people Mm -hmm. thought wouldn't matter which i thought was pretty astute and um and uh, it, it looks like it does make her think when he when he makes that comment to her. Now we're getting back into some action where they've got three cruel ships are are starting to close in. They're not close, but um, getting close enough that they start scanning uh, the Orville. And uh, mm-hmm. they had um, they said, "Well, it worked when the Caliban scanned us, and it worked again until they scanned them with neutron radiation." Right. Yeah. The the commander of this scroll ship is pretty, pretty smart. Um, but yeah, so the neutron radiation uh, kind of uh, drops the cloaking or the neutron, the, the scan for the neutron radiation kind of makes them drop the cloak and the krill uh, give chase. And um, <laughs> they, I guess that's kind of an explanation for why they don't use this cloaking device all the time. <laughs> like I, I'm trying to remember if they ever used it again uh, in season two. Uh, I don't remember. I don't think they did. uh, Yeah. But Gordon actually says like that Caliban thing is worthless. (laughs) So they pretty much dismiss it. (laughs) Um, And uh, so then the, there's a great bit where the Orville heads into this asteroid field in order to confuse the Krill sensors uh, and the Krill are in pursuit. They're firing on the ship and uh, the Orville or Ed (laughs) tells them to take cover near a large asteroid and going closer and, Gordon says closer and uh, which is total empire strikes back moment. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was feeling star Wars all over this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. In fact, they actually duck into a cave in the big asteroid. And uh, I was really glad there was not a space luck in there. That would have been a little bit on the nose, (laughs) but, (laughs) uh, but, and also like what happens is different too, because the, uh, the krill are shooting these missiles and they actually end up sealing the entrance to the cave. Uh, so the Orville is is trapped in there. That's the bad news. The good news is that uh, the Krill believe that the Orville has been shot. Yeah, they don't realize that um, they sealed them up. Right. Probably mainly because they didn't uh, bother to look for any debris. But <laughs> Right, yeah. 
So as the as the crew discusses how to get out of there, uh, Lamar mentions using the holographic generator, <laughs> in which <laughs> which Malloy retorts, "Oh, hey, buddy, did you miss the part of the conversation where we talked about what a clusterfuck that was?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's um that that's that's heavy uh, heavy language for for the Orville, but uh, uh, if you've seen some of the uh, some of the scripts, that language is actually in the scripts. They just end up cutting it mm. from air, which now that we're going to Hulu. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see um, how that kind of content is different uh, on Hulu. And I was kind of surprised we got in the comics. I mean, you know, Dark Horse, you know, they don't, nobody's uh, kind of policing you know, to make sure that you, it's not like, uh, you know, DC or superhero comics or whatever. They got to put little squiggly lines in yeah. there where, uh, where I swear where it would be, but, um, uh, but I don't know. I like, I mean, you know, it, it's, it adds to the realism of the characters. Um, but I was kind of curious if there were any discussions about whether or not to include that in the comic or if it was just kind of accepted that, uh, they were going to get to do whatever they wanted. Yeah. We might have that. See if we can get that question answered. Yeah. I'm sure we can get that question answered, but. Oh yeah. We, <laughs> we yeah. Ask. <laughs> um, but uh, so Beloy or uh, Lamar's um, plan is not actually to cloak the Orville. It's a pretty ingenious, actually. He just wants to disguise the transport ship as the Orville and send that out, um, which is pretty brilliant because, like the Krill, there's no reason for them to scan a ship that they think is the Orville. If they see the Orville trying to run away, they're just going to go chase yeah. it, right? So um, Lamar and Yafet start uh, kind of working the plan and. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of funny because they're talking all about Celeste at the same time because Yafet is still kind of into her, and <laughs> um, and at some point Yafet gets confused about the conversation. Even he doesn't really realize what they're talking about anymore. Uh, but Darden um, is able to uh, to lock out the transport ship system, um, and uh, uh, so so they can't use it uh, for the plan unless they get into the ship systems. And uh, but he says. Darden is completely willing to sacrifice everybody on board the Orville. He just thinks that's the will of Avis and, um, you know, but I'm not gonna kind of help you get us, uh, you know, I'm not going to help you with your plan. And, uh, so the, uh, the security systems overload as the Krill drill into the asteroid. Um, and, uh, the crew of the transport ship gets loosed and, uh, but Celeste is still kind of having second thoughts, uh, probably because of her conversation with Lamar. Um, and really everybody except for Darden is yes, Darden's still kind of the, the, the zealot of the group. And we find out that it was actually all just a show uh, that the, uh, the crew of the Orville did to fool the transport crew into dropping the lockout from the, uh, from the transport ship. Yeah. And I, I, frankly, I got confused during this part. I, some of the, the the panel borders on this section were kind of squiggly, and yeah, um, I think that might have been them trying to convey the uh, the asteroid being drilled into. Oh, okay. See, I was because sometimes I see that in comics as you know to reference like a flashback or something. Yeah. And I thought maybe we were going to find out like um, as we've seen in other episodes, you know, this was all like a ploy on the everybody was actually in the environmental simulator or something, but. Um, that is not the case, um, and, but uh, anyway, in one way or the other, the Orville crew <laughs> fools the uh, the scientists into uh, um, dropping the lockout on their thing. 
just as the krill actually start to really begin tunneling in. <laughs> right, right. Um, and uh, but Kelly is able to uh, kind of stun Darden, um, but the the Orville crew sends out the fake Orville. The krill take the bait, and uh, then the Orville is able to escape and get back to Union space. And uh, we kind of end on uh, Celeste having her own quarters that uh, Lamar got uh, got for her because she was a, a big help. Right. Yeah. So she's not like I, didn't, I don't get the sense that she's staying on the ship, no. but she's like for the remainder of her stay, they're not going to put her like with Darden or any of those guys. Um, and she's feeling a little bit kind of lost. Like she doesn't really know where her place is anymore. And uh, um. So yeah, this this final issue is the only one I really had any issues with or any problems with, and, and part of it was like that whole trick. Uh, I didn't follow that very closely, um, and uh, but also like I kind of wish that there was just more room to explore these scientists and talk about why they decided to to follow Avis because um, it's a really cool story idea, and I love the dilemma that it sets up. Um, I just kind of have a lot of questions about how this group of scientists kind of decide to go all in for this super violent religion. Like that's a, that's, there's a story there um, that, you know, that's not the story that these issues are telling, which is fine, but I kind of really want to know that story. And like, I would love to see someone do a novel like, and uh, I hope we get like a series of horrible novels. Um, And one of them I'd love to see kind of digging deeper into the backstory. Yeah, that would be there. Um, There seems to be at least, at least one novel worth of <laughs> content there. And yeah. uh, after Halsey drops the um, scans off. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, I'd love to see Celeste come back as a character on the actual show too. Like, I don't know what <laughs> the possibility of that actually would be like, you know, who do you cast? But, uh, um, you know, that would be kind of a first for like, a, you know, Star Trek, you know, had its, its line of comics as well, but, they they very much kept them separated. So things that happened in the comic book series, you would never see those referenced like on a TV show mm-hmm. or a movie. But this feels a little bit different because, you know, we got David A. Goldman kind of doing both. Like I could see them, uh, you know, bringing Celeste back. Um, but I have no idea if that's actually something that they're interested in doing. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> no, it would be cool. And then we get kind of an epilogue. Uh, where uh, they uh, they fully bridge that um, gap. Yeah, there's been this shadowy figure on, speaking of bridge, on the, the Krill bridge. Uh, you've had the, the commander of the Krill ship, but there's also like, this shadowy kind of advisor character who um, we never got to see the face until this the very last scene. And it's Talea. Yeah. So, yep. Season two. We're here. Yeah. So all in all, these four issues were, were a great foray into the comic world for the, for the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, maybe we'll get some more. Hopefully we get some more. Yeah. Highly recommend it. If, if, even though we <laughs> totally ran them down, but if, uh, as, as far as the plot, but uh, um, it, they're worth having. And uh, I'm sure that they'll get collected at some point. Yeah. Um, so if you, uh, don't want the individual issues, then uh, look for that collection. I'm, I'm sure we'll have news about that when it comes, but um, I, I do highly recommend the series. 
And we do have one more little news item uh, before we go. That is that La La Land Records has supplied us with some copies of that very cool vinyl edition of the Season 1 soundtrack. And we're going to give one away on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So that means we've got three total to give away. Uh, Probably going to launch that in the next week or so. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you're not already, then follow us in those places. We're on Twitter at Planetary underscore Union. Uh, we're at Planetary Union Network on Facebook, and Instagram is Planetary Union Network. Um, we also have a website at planetaryunion.net, so you can hit us up there. And uh, if, yeah, you can find a bunch of exclusive things, uh, things like that. We've also, um, uh, you, our, the YouTube page doesn't get a lot of love, but we, we do throw some stuff out there every once in a while that the uh, that the show gives us to put out. Uh, latest being um, the New York Comic Con uh, um, season three teaser, like production teaser. Nice, nice. Yeah. So anyway, and uh, so for at, at least another time, Jaloja. <laughs>